0: Let's Talk Digital, Yo. we are at the cutting edge of digital tweaks, changes, transformation, a local digital marketing podcast, conversing with industry experts and giving excerpts about the exceptional, hosted by Audrey Naidu.
1: Sit back, relax, enjoy whatever, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to what's coming up in South Africa in the next couple of months and years. Hello everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk Digital with myself, Audrey Naidu. Whilst conversational commerce, also known as e-commerce, is not a new concept. The phenomenon is gaining momentum, driving innovation and customer experience in an ever-changing e-commerce landscape. The way today's consumers choose to communicate with brands is fundamentally shifting. Gone are the days of infuriating courts, jumping through multiple hoops to get to the right department, and confusing out-of-date websites – Customers now expect to be able to engage in seamless conversational experiences with businesses, similar to how they communicate with their friends and family. Today, we have two leading experts from Blue Robot, a marketing tech provider in South Africa. My guest today is Daniel O'Brien, Head of Global Sales, and Kyle Wurzdazen, Chief Operating Officer of Blue Robot. Kyle and Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thank
0: you so much for having us. Hi Audrey, thanks so much for having us. Happy to be here today.
1: Can you tell our listeners what's been your favorite pastime during lockdown?
0: Oh, I can go first. Um, I Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a massive foodie, Audrey. And so I, um, you'll regularly find me cooking at home for lots of people. And uh, during lockdown, I actually got into um, fermentation and preserving food. And um, yeah, it's, it's something for me, which has given me a time to practice a bit of patience as well, because I have to wait so long for the final product.
1: Yeah, that sounds awesome. And Kyle, yourself?
0: Um, I
2: actually got back into share trading because of all the volatility during um, lockdown. So every time there was a new announcement or new restriction, um, there was quite a bit of change in the market. And uh, I found that quite exciting during when there was nothing else open to do. Well, you can see
1: our
0: different personalities. Yeah,
1: different personalities. <laughs> <laughs> One is definitely uh, entrepreneurial, more entrepreneurial. So guys, um, thank you again for for joining us today. I think it's really awesome for us to be having this conversation on uh, what's happening in the marketplace in terms of c commerce Let's start by defining what conversational commerce is. Um, I'll start with you, Kyle.
2: Of course, I think we, we had a bit of a discussion around this, and uh, we think we thought the first place to start would be to define what normal conversational commerce is and where it's going to digital conversation, conversational commerce. So we, the way we see it is if you go into the store, let's say to buy makeup, you're actually having a conversation with the person helping you and that is actually driving the commerce at the end of the day. And I think that's been happening for hundreds of years where you would go into the store or the market and have that conversation on which product to buy. Whereas now we, we're going into the digital conversational commerce where that conversation is being not being led between two humans, but you're actually talking to an interface that is assisting you in trying to replicate that type of conversation to ultimately drive the purchase or the sale of the product.
1: Okay. Um, and Daniel, what's your thoughts around the definition?
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, I think any element I could add on that to what Kyle is saying is that when we're building these sort of digital conversational commerce experiences, we're focusing on nurturing the buyer journey. Simply taking them through, um, taking them through this journey through the popularity of messaging applications now, and trying to build these intuitive chat experiences, bringing the point of sale to the customer. If that makes sense.
1: Yes, and and what type of platforms are we talking about when we start to look at conversational commerce in the in the digital ecosystem?
0: So so for us um we're very much sort of looking at the the core conversational commerce platforms being facebook messenger whatsapp and and more more recently now uh, the introduction of Instagram sort of direct messaging solutions as well
1: and and just a question is this uh, chat uh, or chat and voice
0: so yes yeah, so that that would be predominantly chat experiences and then I mean the the, the core ones that we've seen are, are, from a voice perspective, would be very much Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, and Microsoft Cortina.
1: That's, I mean, that's interesting. But how how is this growing in South Africa in terms of voice? Are you seeing a trend yet?
0: I think, I think you know, in, it's actually interesting. When Carl and I were discussing this um, a couple of days ago, and where where we've ultimately seen the trend is is that when when thinking about the the platform be that you know the chat experience or the voice experience the the voice experience is very much led to um you know persistent purchases or persistent sort of information i'd be requesting um whereas the chat experience is more sort of focused on the discoverability of content products or or relevant experiences to that user if, if that answers your question
1: yeah i think it does um and you mentioned the customer journey as well so i guess both will play a different role for now
0: yeah yeah it's is quite an interesting one because i came at it from a very different point of view to Kyle and i think mean, Kyle actually really highlighted to me but um if i'm if i'm buying a an outfit um or a let's say a, a piece of a fashion item or something i'm not necessarily going to buy that through voice but i'm very very readily going to go oh yeah i want to buy some more dog food or i need to buy some more soap in and Leveraging some sort of voice solution for something like that is is probably going to be the the easiest point whilst I'm in my home.
1: Do you happen to know? Um, you know, do you happen to have any stats in terms of how voice is growing in South Africa? I think I asked someone this question last year, but I didn't get an answer to that.
2: Um, I can I can jump in there. Um, we've also been looking forward for quite some time, um, but it is also because a lot of the biggest platforms that are driving these in like the UK or the US aren't fully available in South Africa just yet. Um, so if you take Amazon Alexa which drives a lot of the purchases and things like that, that isn't as readily available in South Africa. Um, so I think it would it will come with the introduction of these platforms properly. That's when we'll get more stats and more introduction to it.
1: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um so so guys is this is C commerce the same thing as social commerce?
2: Um so I think I think from our side the the way we see social commerce is that's, that's a platform where, like, platform where Twitter will shine, where it gets you a lot of conversation, engagement, all of those, but it doesn't necessarily lead to the purchase itself, where conversational commerce takes it that step further, where you can introduce a person to a product, you can show them it visually, and then you can take them through the actual purchase as well, whereas the social commerce still needs to lead them off the platform to complete the purchase somewhere else.
1: Okay. Yes. So, so some of the brands that are doing social commerce, right? Would you say that they, the beauty and retail verticals? Uh,
2: yes, one hundred percent. I think if you if you take Avon uh, globally, and some of their activations have also been in South Africa, they've run things where you can upload a picture of yourself, and it will actually show you how you look like with different lipsticks and things like that. And I think that's a great example of taking the visual aspects of a platform like Instagram. And then you can, you can share a visual or content in the same format that the user is expecting it um, to see. And we've also seen some of the other beauty brands starting to, to, to have those conversations with us at the moment.
1: Mm, I think you're just going to see the growth in this area um, in the next couple of months. Um, and we're going to talk about the consumer shift from 2020 to 2021. But the important question to ask is, why would consumers want conversational commerce?
0: Well, oh, I'm happy to answer that one because it's probably something I'm quite passionate about, Audrey. I mean, I, I, think, I think ultimately um, people want, you know, they want awesome experiences. And I think what we, we've come to expect as consumers is, is awesome experiences. Like we, and, and ultimately conversational commerce is about delivering convenience, personalization and supporting me within my decision-making. And, you know, that has to be done on the go whilst I'm actually probably only dedicating sort of my minimal amount of attention to that. Um, So I I, I really do think it comes back to um, customers want awesome experiences and conversational commerce, sorry, conversational experiences seems to be the most appropriate vehicle for that right now.
1: Mm. I think, you know, um, it also um, aligns to the fact that we've seen major trends and shifts leading up to this trend. Uh, If you look at the increase in online shopping, which is creating new expectations from from consumers and um, from the last stats I've seen that e-commerce growth is projected at 20% year on year in South Africa. Um, Are you in agreement to this is what leading up to conversational commerce? Yeah, look, I
0: think 100% from our side, I could agree with that. And I think, you know, um, as, as Kyle and I were discussing, sort of one of the, the key drivers for this over the last sort of 18 months really has been sort of COVID-19, where people, you know, may not be able to go into store or they didn't possibly feel comfortable to go into store. So, yeah, I think um, we're, we're definitely seeing a shift, you know, even, an even more greater shift in that direction.
1: Yeah, I think one of the other things that um, one can consider is in the past, I mean, not so long ago, we were talking about O2O, so online to offline, and now we're saying is let's keep the customer engaged, let's close the deal online, and and I guess that's where conversational commerce will have its place.
0: Yeah, I I was listening to another podcast, the the name of it um, eludes me for the moment, but it, it was kind of getting towards a similar point, as you're mentioning there, where, um, you know, I, I, if, I'm, if I'm messaging a friend, I'm not necessarily just going to you know, message them when I want something all the time. I'm building a relationship. And there's a couple of you know, brands globally which have done this really well. Um, off the top of my memory, when I'm looking in my sort of um, chat experiences, Uber Eats for me was one of the standout ones, where during something like the Euros or the Olympics, you know, the messaging is me as me a friend and like building a relationship with me, ne- not necessarily asking for something all the time. Do I want to order this pizza or do I want to order this fried chicken to support my big game? Um,
1: yes. Kyle, any comments here?
2: Um, yeah, I think the the only other trend that we've seen is the platform's also getting a lot better. So what, we, what we've what we seen is um, things like Instagram adding a shop's functionality or where you're, you're able to click on a, let's say someone's wearing a hoodie in a picture, you can actually click on that They'll take you to a shop within Instagram where you can see the price, the description of the item, and all of that. So I think it's not only led by the factors we've mentioned now, but also by the platforms themselves actually offering more functionality and more seamless functionality um, for Instagram to make a change to their app navigation. It's quite, a, it's quite a big show of intent of how they see this playing out.
1: From a brand perspective, this can be quite daunting, um, especially when you start to talk about tech. Um, Do you guys want to talk about what type of tech or interface is deployed here behind the scenes?
2: Happy to jump in on that one. And I think um, this is something um, I'm quite passionate about because I think a lot of people um, associate conversational commerce with an overly technical solution, whereas we believe it should be user or feedback led. So there is nothing wrong with having a, a, a super basic user journey of you're having a sale, you're selling five things on the sale. And you take a user through a super sleek user journey to have that. Whereas what we see a lot of brands are doing is they're going away and developing something for 6 to 12 months. It's super near perfect technically wise and they've built a platform themselves. But by the time they launch it, it's not necessarily what the clients want. So although the tech and there are amazing platforms globally to use this that actually help you with natural language processing and creating your architecture, we believe that the tech is one element, but the, the most important element is actually getting getting an experience that's perfect for the user or what the users um, are actually wanting.
1: So how would a, um, a brand go about um, you know even starting this journey?
2: So what, what I normally recommend is for them to to look in their own vertical for success stories, to engage with some of their competitors, maybe globally that are running some some of these experiences, And then to reach out to a partner, even if they don't not intending to use a partner that's got experience in the space, just having the conversation with someone that's done it before. Um, Because from our experience, there is when when you want to launch something, you, you know your audience well and the brand will always know their audience, but you don't necessarily know the platform that you're running it on. So we've seen examples where clients have gone away and redeveloped an entire interface where they could have used something like Facebook Messenger's Interface that's already there for you. So just having those conversations with a partner that's done it before, that can just point out these sometimes less obvious things, obvious for someone in the industry, but not someone obvious for if you're working on the financial sector or you may be in IT or whatever. It's not always obvious to you how the Instagram best practices work.
1: So I have a question around that, Kyle, is how do brands consider... um, uh, C commerce, it's part of, uh, do they keep it as part of the media mix or, or rather the omni channel mix? Do you always need media behind it?
2: So that's a very good question. And um, I would say it, it differs based on the platform. So if we just go start off with whether they need media behind it, it, it depends on the platform. So something like Google Business Chat, so that's where a user would be searching for the, for the brand or the product on Google already. And they, they are actually looking for the brand, whereas on other platforms such as Instagram or WhatsApp, it's more of a, the brand has to drive discoverability. So in those cases, I would say you, you would add it to the marketing mix as you would any other platform or any other sales acquisition tool that you are promoting. Um, because essentially, your marketing campaigns will have to drive, firstly, the, the knowledge that this exists and the awareness of it, but also you have to drive that new behavior that the user has to adopt. Um, because the first three or four times they see it, they might forget about it. But after the first time, they, they can actually adopt it as a new behavior and then start to look um, for those types of things themselves before seeing an ad.
1: So, so what you're saying is, I mean, the, the initial step is to build this out, right, considering your customer journey, what type of vertical you are in. And then, two, create the awareness and uh, encourage usage or adoption of this channel as part of your media mix. Is that correct?
2: Yes, exactly. You need to you need to do all of those steps in order to drive this new behavior um, or routine for the user.
1: Okay, and then who? I mean, in terms of how you operate, let's talk about what service, like a typical. Marketing tech uh, provider like Blue Robot would offer to brands.
0: So, so ultimately, from our side, Audrey, um, if if we were to be working in a similar way to how Kyle has just described, um, building in a sort of a, a messaging chat experience as part of your wider media mix, we would be looking to again have that sort of conversational process with the, with the with the brand and understand what platform we should be working on because that's where their audience ultimately is. And then we'd be looking to say, okay, cool. Based upon those platforms, how how we approach a a possible build is through a a very sort of um, unified customer journey. So can we build a similar experience across multiple platforms, but from a unified journey perspective? And then how do we tailor it for each individual social platform? Because as Carl mentioned earlier, like a lot of these platforms are releasing features you know, to build a richer, richer customer experience. And each of them are, you know, they they do have their certain nuances and differences. Some may have richer formats for engagement versus trying to drive a purchase or a conversion of some kind. So then it would be a case of working, working with that brand to say, cool, what is the, what is the ultimate business objective and keeping the customer at the, the sort of the center of our design process, how, you know, how should we build this user journey with you, and 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 really just hand holding throughout that whole process? And and I think you know the the one the one element is really like not not being too afraid to get it, you know, not have it perfect initially, um, but ultimately to iterate over time and based upon that that feedback we're getting, based upon how, how we observe users um, approaching the experience or possibly finding points of minimal frustration redesigning them in as simple a way as possible to ensure minimal drop-off and and, and maximum conversion at whatever point we would define as success for the business, if that makes sense.
1: It does. So, Daniel, um, do you think brands can do this process themselves or they need technical support?
0: I definitely think it's in their benefit to understand where where the, the pitfalls could be. Um, and I, I would say that's the, fir- the first point. And I mean, to, to what Carl said earlier is understanding what's happening, you know, in, in, within your vertical or even other verticals based upon what your objective is, is, is the first point. Um, I also would be, you know, we get a lot of local, um, you know, asking brands, asking for local experiences, local verticals. But I do think, you know, there's a lot to be learned globally as well. Um, and I'm, I'm trying not to introduce my bias here of being a Londoner. But um, I do think we can learn from, from these global brands. But then I mean, to, to, to bring it back you know, more, more to your question, I think, I think ultimately you, learning, learning where, where the pitfalls are is where you know, a technical service provider can actually bring um, an element of expertise. And then supporting and guiding through the, the formats which are available to them to help them achieve the objective. And then also um, the, the one elephant in the room always when having these conversations is policy, right? Um, policy from a poppy or a GDPR perspective or um, even the regulatory requirements of the platforms themselves, that's where a technical service provider can really help you navigate that, those, those gray areas and those dark waters you, you may not be so uh, used to ultimately.
1: Yeah, because I mean, my my one of my questions is how is first party data used in this ecosystem? Because you talk about personalization, and you know, um, do you feed first party data into some of these initiatives? Because that's a, uh, that's a very important point in terms of ensuring that we apply the right governance and due diligence mm-hmm. when we look at the platform.
0: So, so do you mean ultimately, like when? we might be leveraging customer data or handing customer data over to a, to a business?
1: Uh, Yes. So, so I think I'm talking, I'm referring to both ways. So do you, can a brand use their own first party data to uh, connect to consumers online? For example, you know, using first party data on uh, Facebook and then driving the conversation or two, you obviously will reach out to a broader audience and then allow them to engage with the brand or connect or take up the offer, whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So I think, you know, the the first point is like, you know, I guess how do we discover these audiences? So I think, you know, brands will have an already existing um, client base or customer base on a, on a platform. Now they can engage with them Fairly easily by posting something, and that will organically reach that audience. If you want to ultimately reach a new audience, you would have to leverage the targeting capabilities on that particular platform. We might be we might be talking about be that Facebook, Instagram, um, for instance. Um, and then, I mean, in terms of actually, you know, us sort of you know businesses leveraging customer data. I mean, from from my perspective, it's ultimately focused around building, developing a longer lasting relationship with the audience and and actually using that data um, where we can to build a more relevant experience for the user and anticipating what the desired experiences or services may be down the future for that user. I think the one, the one element with sort of thinking about data and delivering, I'm doing my little quote marks here, an experience is that the ultimately the user's data is the... Form payment. I, I always think of it like that. And if we are going to be take, you know, leveraging data, there's going to be a, a level of expectation from the user that that is delivering a greater or richer experience for me.
1: Mm, definitely, uh, Carl. Any comments to that?
0: No, I think Dan touched on a good point
2: there. Um, there's a there's one of a famous sayings recently being thrown around. If you're not paying for the product, you're all the product. So I think that that speaks quite highly of if you're on a platform such as Facebook or Instagram or whichever, we're not paying for it. There's a lot of your data being shared with these brands. And I think that data, they would expect, like Dan mentioned, they would expect you, if you have that data, to actually use it. So you shouldn't be um, selling someone the same thing after they just bought it the week prior to that. So I think that's where first-party data can really be relevant. So if you know someone has just bought a TV, don't try and sell them a TV again the next day. Rather try and sell them, a, a different uh, TV stand or whatever the case might be, something that complements what they've already bought. Because that's when you can get really intelligent with the data and still collect it in a way um, where you're not breaking any laws or any, any policies.
1: I guess, yes, because consumers are opting into this. So they are openly sharing their data. But you're completely right. it's It's important for brands to craft out that consumer journey um from the beginning right to the end in terms of what they're going to do with data after you know that lead it's been sent through to the brand
2: yeah exactly and i think what what tends to happen is when you when you go you say you, you want to purchase something you see that ad for the next 30 days whereas you might make the purchase on the first day and the brand misses out and selling you a complimentary service the next 29 days as an as a very basic example um, and that just looks like it's not well, well thought out um, for the for the end user that don't necessarily knows what's happening behind the scenes. Mm.
1: Uh, so, Kyle, do you think that this is also one of the solutions that would go into that bucket of uh, what happens when third party cookies are removed? Is this one of the strategies that brands should be considering because? Firstly, you're getting personalization. Secondly, your consumers opting into you and they're sharing the data with you. Um, will this be part of a solution?
2: Um, I think as long as the, the terms and conditions and privacy policy and all of those things are very, very well communicated to the user. So, like when you go on a website, you have to accept some form of cookies or information sharing. I think as long as brands introduce that, they can use a lot of the same data points that they were using on a website they can actually get something from something like a chatbot, because you would know X user has gone to the step to buy a fashion item or a TV. And you can actually then use that, again, if you've gotten the necessary permissions to serve them next content or to target them with an ad. Um, So I think that can be very valuable. And that's mostly what people did on websites previously. Um, So I think that is definitely a step forward. And I think um, even something where this takes, takes it a step further is like Dan was mentioning, to have a conversation with the user. So if you if you bought a TV, maybe a week later, you can ask them, what did you think of it? Or have you gotten all your, your account set up? Do you have any issues? Just to further extend that conversation with the user, and it's not a purchase that they make, and then you sort of forget about them. Um, this allows you to start playing in that space.
1: Yeah, I think you are spot on because, I mean, we're moving into an era of permission-based marketing. Data privacy is going to be front and center of everything that brands have to do going forward. And and what's important, again, it leads back to strategy in terms of relooking the way we approach communication and um, making sure that we define those foundational principles to guide the way forward.
2: Yeah, Exactly. And I think, Um, What what generally happens is we've seen it with GDPR and with POPI now is a month before the new regulation comes in Everyone sort of wants to wake up and wants to have a reaction to it And often it's an overreaction whereas if if you have this as part of your your marketing plan as an example you, You don't have to care about any new regulation that comes in if you're already applying the best practices and all of these things And there is a lot of areas where I think brands could be missing out if they have an overreaction or they had to have a delayed reaction to applying with something like coffee. Whereas if you, you've you been researching it for a while, you've included it in your policy, um, it, it can be a great thing to use. And I think there is, there's the great example of, um, and I know this is slightly off topic, but for the alcohol brands, when they were mentioning alcohol advertising being banned, um, J&B started their, their TV ads with the giant disco ball rolling down. And if you if you were to show that to Most people that have been watching TV for the last three to five years, they'd probably be able to identify that without the branding. And I think that's a great example of how you can plan ahead for something like this to happen. So if alcohol advertising were to be banned, they could technically have a a giant disco ball and that could be considered advertising because they've made that brand connection. And I think that's not necessarily the same as these data regulations, but it just shows if you plan ahead, you you can be very well prepared for when something like this happens.
1: Yeah, but what I'm observing is that people are overreacting. There's a frenzy of overcompliance without fully understanding the different aspects of uh, each platform and the role they play. And it's it's actually a, a huge challenge for brands. I mean, the bigger the corporate um the the bigger the challenge so it's an interesting space where marketers now need to also educate and get buy-in from internal uh, functions like risk compliance data privacy um, where, where a cloud even cloud committees because this is a real um, risk for a brand in totality where marketing needs to step out of its own function and start to collaborate with other areas to get things done.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Then I think it, it's a, a nice opportunity for some someone to actually reach out to professional in this space. And I think a lot of the, the smaller companies actually have that luxury of not having a legal compliance or risk team internally. And because they're reaching out to the professionals in this, they can often get upskilled a lot quicker and act a lot quicker on this information and then take these little gaps before the general brands and companies actually start to to catch on to it. Um, But yeah, we've seen exactly the same where um, where people, if they feel uneasy about it, they rather go the over-compliance route um, and then sometimes miss out on some opportunities.
1: Absolutely. So I just want to pause for a moment and go back to C-commerce. And and, um, I want to understand, once you uh, develop this process uh, or the platform, um, is it automated, semi-automated and when do you hand over
0: to human? I'm happy to jump in there, Audrey. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, when, when, we're, when we're considering ultimately, you know, should it, this, should this be a fully automated experience or should there be an element where we can speak to a human? It really depends on what the desired outcome is, right? Um, and it's not a case of saying necessarily one is better than the other. It's a case of going back to, you know, pretty much most of the things we've been rapping on about so far is like, it's, it's about what is the best design for the customer and for your business as an outcome. But if I was to sort of draw it back to a, what is a rule of thumb? We would generally, you know, walk into initial conversations around thinking, you know, an 80-20 split between 80% trying to think about how can I, best serve my customer in an automated way. So answer those eighty percent of common questions, common queries, and then thinking about that twenty percent as the, you know, the high value moment that I would probably want to hand that person over to a human. Now, I mean, there's so many different things that, areas that could that moment could fall into. That could be a high value purchase, um, a time sensitive purchase. Um, or a time-sensitive decision that needs to be made, or it could be as simple as a user being, you know, a little bit frustrated of possibly not getting the answer that they want. At which point, you know, we would always say the best sort of route of design for the the customer is to help them solve that that problem or that query or that frustration as quick as possible. At which point that would be the high value moment where we would hand that conversation over to a, a live agent or a human.
1: Okay, so so um, Daniel, why should social media teams be at the centre of e-commerce? I
0: think I think that's a great that's a great question because that actually sort of adds on to the previous sort of point where you know it, it, the person who's going to be ultimately supporting the design and you know as we've mentioned throughout is probably the the iterative process of improving a customer journey is going to be the social media teams. They're going to be at the heart of sort of you know, designing or designing the customer journeys, um, evaluating what's working well, what's possibly not working so well within a customer journey, and then helping, you know, collaborating with you know internal teams and, and a technical provider to actually iterate on upon the design and actually build a more intuitive customer experience which minimizes possible drop off or, or user frustration at certain points of the journey.
1: So there, there are a number of considerations when you start to talk about social media teams, um, because I think traditionally those social media teams were community managers, just managing the conversation on the different platforms. Now you're asking these teams to also play a different role in terms of, uh, you know, operating in this new commerce entity. Um, Having worked with both global and local brands. You know, what do you think the the structure, um, you know, know, of these teams work well in terms of ensuring that? Remember, the success of conversational commerce is in the implementation of it.
0: Yeah, I think, um, and maybe Carl, you can add on to this afterwards because I know that you, you, you and your team particularly work closely with these teams. But I mean, for me, Audrey, ultimately, there's the sort of three stages of discoverability of an experience, engaging with that experience, and then the possible sort of conversion element or um, sort of a business metric we might want to track on the end, be that purchase or a, a click-through to a website or something like that. So I think that those, for me, are the three core areas. So, you know, being your your paid team, you know, making sure that we're getting the, 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 com- the conversational experience in front of the right audience, um, the community management team focusing on, you know, are we actually providing an experience which resonates with our audience and iterating that design over time and then working with the the possible sort of people who work on the sort of CRM side, the more quantifiable side of the the design and actually ensuring that we're we're handing users through at at the right point, be that a purchase or um, handing over some lead generation information or something of those sorts. I don't know, Kyle, if you want to add to that
2: i think it's a it's a very important topic because we we've often seen the bigger the brand the more they work in isolation so we've had chatbots launch for clients via conversational commerce or even customer support where the customer support teams weren't aware that they're all launching a chatbot on that day or at all and it just means that number one they haven't spoken to each other around it but it also means they haven't taken the insights from the social media teams, community managers, on how people speak, what are the frustrations, and that data hasn't um, improved the chatbot or uh, guided the design. So I think it's a very important topic and I think it's one that a lot of brands aren't um, getting right in the sense of, you can't launch a chatbot without your community management team knowing about it. And uh, we we often see, or we often ask for, can we we have a meeting with your social uh, media managers as an example? And then the, um, the response is often, oh, but they don't know about the chatbots. We don't want to include them. So I think it's important to, to know that they should be very involved. But Audra, I think you also touched on a good point where it shouldn't necessarily be their role to create the UI of a chatbot or a conversational journey, but their data and their insight should be guiding either a technical partner or a dedicated internal person to, go, to create this journey.
1: So I think, you know, I'm frantically writing notes while you guys speak. For me, it's around at the center of that design process should be the structure and the people and the teams that's going to be conducive to supporting this because it's the same age old problem we've been experiencing. Um, your advertising, uh, your communication is out there. But when you phone the call center, you go on the website, then you get a break in that experience because no one knows what the hell's going on. So you might have the best chatbot, you know, that's highly intuitive, um, that's all set up. But this can fail fast if you don't have the right structure to support it.
2: Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And it's the age old problem of exactly what you've mentioned, where you, you phone the call center or you go in-store and they have no clue what you're talking about. And I think um, a lot of a lot of ch- uh, chatbot companies or even, even brands can fall into that trap where they work in isolation, where you should always be doing this. It should just be a delivery method for everything else you're trying to achieve. So it should be part of your marketing strategy or sales strategy. It should be a, another vehicle or medium for that and it should tie into everything else. So it's not running in isolation, um, all the team should know about it, everyone should have their input in it so that on the day when it, when it launches, it should be the the company should be the first people interacting with it. They should have all known about it um, because you're, otherwise there's a massive break. And then that that is where people find find these types of solutions very frustrating when your first or second question is, oh, we don't know about that already.
1: Mm. And that touches on another conversation that we had recently with Hayden Townsend. We spoke about the shift from customer experience to the business of experience because you have to have cross-functional teams all buying into this uh, customer experience and putting the customer at the center of all your efforts. So it just does not become just a advertising um you know, uh, responsibility, but the responsibility of the organisation.
2: Exactly right. It should be a cross-functional uh, effort from the from the company to actually launch something like this.
1: So guys, we can talk about this all morning because this subject really um, excites me. But, uh, and we've only touched uh, upon all the possibilities of conversational commerce. And as we see this mega trend uh, assimilate, augmented and virtual reality, we're into a whole other universe, you know, and other opportunities that opens up. In your point of view, what does the future look like and where are we moving towards?
2: So, uh, we've actually been discussing that quite a bit recently, uh, especially after Mark Zuckerberg in his Facebook um, recent, their most recent press conference, he he was mentioning a multiverse or a metaverse, which is normally restricted for comic book series and movies, where they they want to include things like Oculus Rift and virtual reality in the buying in the buying um, pattern essentially. So they they've said they're even willing to to pivot away from being an advertising business to this metaverse, as they call it. So it shows that if that is um, advertising was mentioned 28 times and metaverse was mentioned 20 times. So it shows the big scale that they are estimating this at. And I think this, it it might seem like a a very much a a movie concept, but they do believe that if they um, allocate enough, enough of their resources towards this for the next three or four years, that they could get something up and running that is usable um, or starts becoming usable. So I think, From a conversational commerce point of view, uh, it was always voice. Um, Then it's sort of gone back to platforms such as Instagram. And this seems to be the most topical uh, conversation at the moment, if whether it can go into that realm. Um, But for the the next two or three years, I think it will very much be the platforms that we know already, just a lot better user experience and a lot more brands starting to adopt it. Um, Dan, I don't know if you wanted to add anything
0: there no i think you've ultimately covered it but for me when again we were watching watching through his preferences press conferences sorry and investor relations calls you know um the the sort of convergence of these physical augmented and augmented and virtual reality forms they've been working on it was actually coming through and making a lot of sense um when they're discussing the the metaverse so i think yeah carl's saying a lot of exciting stuff to come but i think that that stuff is quite far down the road and yeah ultimate sort of um improving of what we what we're seeing right now is is what's in on the immediate horizon
1: yeah sounds very intriguing guys i mean we're seeing ourselves in a world that's constant disruption and we have to adapt uh fast to this new world because consumers are ahead of the game and we trying to play catch up every single day i guess
0: yeah i think I think audrey it's it's definitely it feels sometimes like technology um, is a bit is leading the trends but i I'll, I'll be honest at my, my heart and hearts I do think that there is a lot of work gone into the observation of human behavior and I think that's why I mean as a very basic thing we've just seen you know messaging solutions becoming way more popular than social media platforms in in some respect and That is why we're at a point of talking about conversational commerce right now. So I do think there are nuggets of human truths which are defining for for these, you know, social media platforms, why they're designing and building products in a certain direction.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's all about the customer at the end of the day. So guys, in closing, what three tips or advice would you leave for marketers to take away from this conversation today?
0: I'll kick off with the first one. We were discussing this and um, I'd say know, know the platform and use it for its strengths. Um, content has to match what the user will be doing on the platform. So I think that, that would definitely be the first one. Um, I think for me personally, being on on, on this side of the, of the fence, it's, it's, it's also a case of, you know, throughout this process, we're saying start small and simple. Um, the best design is through sort of the iterative design process. Um, So I would definitely encourage that.
2: Just to to add a third one quickly, I think starting with your customers' pain points and frustrations is is the best possible place to start with any any journey you go. Um, And this will then, if if you look at their frustrations and what they are actually asking for, you must use that to guide your business and what your implementation will be. Because otherwise you can go away and design something for 12 months just to launch it to realize that no one actually wanted it so you should almost do it the other way around where you first ask them what they want and then start designing your your next execution or marketing campaign
1: okay awesome thanks guys for your time this morning i mean i really enjoyed this conversation
0: awesome thank you so much we really appreciate you asking us to be on the show thank you so much
1: okay bye-bye take care bye bye okay bye so guys we're excited you're excited I Really value and appreciate your support during this time.
2: Helping decision
0: makers navigate the change and to keep some change in their pockets. Don't forget to subscribe, follow our Instagram handle
1: at talkdigitalza.
0: Engage us on our website at talkdigitalza.co.za. And who
1: knows, you could be featuring on the next one.